The United States was at a breaking point. The country was deeply divided and the federal government was ineffective. So in the summer of 1787, some of the newly formed nation's most distinguished citizens gathered to craft a solution. Good morning, I'm John Rogan and this is Fordham Conversations. Today we're marking Constitution Day, which is September 17th, the date in 1787 when the delegates to the Constitutional Convention signed off on the Constitution. We're joined by John Furick, Dean Emeritus and the Sidney C. Norris Professor of Law in Public Service at Fordham Law School. As a recent graduate of Fordham College and Fordham Law School in the mid-1960s, Dean Furick played a key role in framing the Constitution's 25th Amendment, which addresses presidential succession and inability. After that, he worked on a nearly successful effort to abolish the Electoral College. Dean Furyk has taught seminars and clinical courses on the Constitution at Fordham. I've been lucky enough to take and co-teach some of those courses with him. Dean Furyk, thanks very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you very much. Now, as I mentioned, Constitution Day marks uh, the end of the convention, but uh, maybe we should start by discussing why the convention happened in the first place. Why was the convention called? The convention was, uh, uh, as I see it, uh, called to uh, give meaning uh, and further meaning to uh, the Declaration of Independence uh, that uh, set us on our own course as a, as a people. And that course began in 1776 under uh, a, a confederation type of governance structure. But by uh, the end of the, of the 1780s, 1786 more specifically, it uh, was clear to uh, uh, leaders of our society, uh, George Washington and, uh, uh, and others, that uh, uh, the current governance of the country was, uh, was not working. And, uh, and it was essential to uh, take a look at uh, the Articles of Confederation that uh, uh, anchored on the uh, independence of, uh, uh, you might say, or sovereignty of uh, each of the 13 states uh, needed to be revamped. And uh, and the idea of, of bringing together uh, representatives of all the uh, states at that point uh, uh, took took uh, uh, hold and, uh, and led to the convention. Right, and so they gather then in May of 1787 and they, you know, have a summer where all kinds of plans are suggested, there are disagreements. Uh, and then on September 17th, that last day of the convention, um, Benjamin Franklin uh, gives a speech uh, where he's trying to convince the other delegates uh, to approve the Constitution. Uh, and I thought it makes sense to, to read a, a short excerpt of that. Uh, he said, when you assemble a number of men to have the advantage of their joint wisdom, you inevitably assemble with those men all of their prejudices, their passions, their errors of opinion, their local interests, their selfish views. From such an assembly, can a perfect production be expected? It therefore astonishes me to find this system approaching so near perfection as it does. I cannot help expressing a wish that every member of the convention who may still have objections to it would with me on this occasion doubt a little bit of his own infallibility and to make manifest our unanimity put his name to this instrument. So Franklin seems to be saying that the delegates can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Was that attitude um, important to the convention's success? And, and what else made the convention successful? Yes, uh, that, that attitude uh, uh, was uh, tied to um, group activity, where a group uh, 
dedicated uh, to accomplishing a certain goal, uh, works hard uh, at it, providing everyone with an opportunity to uh, offer their views, to uh, have give and take, arrive at a conclusion after a long effort uh, that's worthy of uh, implementing. And I've used that myself uh, as a guide for all my activity over, over the years, not only in terms of constitutional reform, but also with respect to uh, uh, mediations that I've engaged in trying to help uh, people uh, uh, achieve a result. And the 25th Amendment is a very good example of that because uh, they were working on uh, dealing with the uh, clarifying the Constitution's Article 2 uh, as to inability, who had the power to uh, declare inability, whether a president could pass over temporarily his powers and duties. And they worked 100 years on that. And uh, uh, beginning, I think, uh, uh, that provision of the Constitution didn't answer those questions. And so for almost 100 years, uh, we talked about uh, that, 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 that part of the Constitution. And beginning in 1956, uh, leading to 1965, the uh, Congress of the United States uh, uh, tackled that problem and came up with a proposed 25th Amendment. And as that amendment was being shaped, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, uh, develop a, a close relationship with Senator Bayh, uh, who was a principal author of the amendment, and also Congressman, Republican Congressman Richard Poff, who was a leader in the House of Representatives. And in order to have a constitutional amendment, as you know, we need a, a concurrence of two thirds of both houses. And I remember saying to Richard Poff, who, who uh, as the House of Representatives was moving toward a vote on the subject that you might consider using uh, in developing the rules uh, for the House debate on the 25th Amendment uh, that quote from uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, saying it's now time to come together and, and agree with what we've put together over a long period of time. And he was to tell me after that uh, uh, rule was set that he wanted me to know that he used the Benjamin Franklin quote. Now, I don't have any minutes uh, of, the, of that rule meeting, but uh, I do have a communication from him. Uh, telling me uh, that how that quote was helpful to him in rallying people together to give uh, enough time to debate that subject in the House of Representatives. That's right. It's that, that attitude of, uh, of compromise. And it, that's a, it's an incredible story, you know, separated by almost, uh, you know, two centuries, that same, you know, attitude and sentiment uh, ends up being, you know, very important, uh, it, it sounds, to making progress, um, you know, in, in creating a, a, a more perfect constitution uh, for the country. We'll, we'll get back to your work on the 25th Amendment in, in just a second, but um, a little bit more on the Constitutional Convention. Near the end of the convention, um, George Washington uh, reportedly said that he didn't expect the Constitution to last for more than 20 years. Uh, why did it outlive that expectation? I think because of the work product that the uh, framers of the uh, Constitution uh, presented us uh, and uh, it called for uh, uh, taking power and spreading power among uh, three uh, branches of government, the Supreme Court, uh, the legislative branch and the executive branch. And it, uh, it respected the idea that there were states that uh, had their own uh, interests 
So there was uh, something there for every everybody that uh, was important, I would say. But ultimately, I think uh, what made it work was the acceptance of the people that the Constitution uh, was intended for. And the uh, uh, Constitution uh, uh, could be changed as, as it was at that 20-year point. Uh, you had the 11th Amendment, you had the 12th Amendment. So there was a vehicle for change uh, and the people would have an opportunity to uh, improve their constitution, uh, which they had at that point, and that we continue to do so uh, for the rest of time, so to speak, up to now. Right. I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, the importance of improving the constitution. You know, that does reflect the, the reality that the constitution had its flaws. And when you look at the, the current moment, we're in the middle of a, a national reckoning with the nation's history of, of racial inequality, you know, the reality is that the Constitution was part of that history. Uh, it allowed slavery to continue uh, and counted slaves as three-fifths of other people. Uh, you know, also last month uh, marked the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which guaranteed women the right to vote. That amendment was needed because the Constitution didn't uh, sufficiently protect the rights of women. Uh, but over the decades and, and centuries, uh, the Constitution did evolve to fix many of its shortcomings. Um, how did that happen, and, and what does that tell us about the Constitution? Well, let me uh, just backtrack just slightly by saying that uh, compromise was critical. Otherwise, there was no Constitution. And the framers, uh, uh, in developing the Constitution, did so uh, at a convention that was uh, covered by rules, that uh, they developed the rules for that convention. They had a presiding officer, George Washington, and they had a secretary to uh, make uh, abbreviated notes of the convention. And James Madison made more detailed notes of the convention. And they, uh, they worked out their differences, uh, not being able to achieve uh, everything uh, any particular person or group might uh, have favored because of compromise. So they put together and in a civil proceeding, they were able to listen to each other, they were able to talk to each other. And, and I'm happy to say that uh, uh, most of the delegates uh, were lawyers. So we were left with an example of uh, people who had a, an interest in uh, our country and uh, being able to civilly talk to each other and put together uh, the work product of, of the convention. Now. And, and all the way through history, as I see it, uh, people uh, began to uh, add to the Constitution to expand the right to vote, uh, to have to deal with uh, the issue of slavery in America, uh, parts of the Constitution that uh, uh, was not accomplishable uh, by the framers at that time. And uh, uh, the right, uh, the place of women uh, it took a long time to get uh, uh, the Constitutional Amendment. We, we celebrate uh, the 20th anniversary of that amendment this year. Uh, as I recall, uh, you know, 1920. And, and we've seen further improvements, uh, the right of 18-year-olds to vote, provision uh, to abolish the uh, poll tax, provision to provide uh, those who live in the District of Columbia a right to vote in the presidential election in the sense of the Electoral College uh, mechanism. We've been very fortunate to have a written constitution that's the oldest of its kind in the history of the world. That's been a model for uh, other constitutions uh, 
of other nations, and uh, and we haven't had to uh, do what George Washington d- d- predicted might be a possibility. Now, you've had a, an interest and, and really a, a passion for the Constitution for much of your life. What sparked your interest in, in the Constitution? Well, it all began when I was a, um, a student at Fordham College, and uh, and I had a professor, William Frasca, who I might add was a lawyer, but he was all, he also was the chairman of the political science department at uh, at Fordham University. He had such a love for the Constitution uh, that led me to read the Constitution, uh, which I I don't recall ever doing uh, before my first year at Fordham uh, College, and then I took uh, courses uh, related to the Constitution, including constitutional law, as as a college student and learned about uh, the major decisions of the United States Supreme Court. And I became fascinated by uh, the document itself and, 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 and uh, its history and its language. Uh, and, uh, and, that, and that led me when I graduated a few years later from law school uh, to wanna understand why there was a problem uh, with the uh, area of disability of a president. Uh, it was, as I mentioned before, uh, what was an ability? Who, who could decide an ability? What was the status uh, of a vice president who might uh, uh, discharge the powers and duties of a president in the event of a disability? So uh, my, that learning led me uh, to have a passion for uh, the, uh, the Constitution and it's important to uh, uh, our society. And, and, and to someone like myself, my parents were immigrants, I'm their first child, and, uh, and, uh, and they had a love for our country that they conveyed to me as well. All of that was part of the mix uh, that led me to uh, do my writing on uh, uh, the areas of the, what became the 25th Amendment to the Constitution. This is Forum Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm John Rogan, sitting down with John Furick to mark Constitution Day. So, Dean Furick, you were, you were just mentioning how you became uh, involved in working on the 25th Amendment. It's, it's really, it's an incredible story. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how uh, exactly you came to you know, work so closely with members of Congress on that amendment? Yes. Uh, the article I wrote uh, called... Uh, um, uh, disability of a president, will Congress ever solve it? Uh, uh, came out in October of 1963 at a time we had a very young president. And my article uh, uh, started by uh, making reference to a young president and uh, as, uh, as a reason why it was a time to deal with that uh, age old problem of inability that I made reference to of a president. And, uh, and, uh, and and, uh, and I, t- I took my article and I circulated it to people who had written on the subject. I sent it to the president, President Kennedy. I sent it to his two brothers, uh, uh, one attorney general and the other in, in the Congress of the United States. I sent it to uh, uh, the New York Times and uh, Washington, uh, the Washington Post uh, and other newspapers uh, where there had been writers on, on the subject. And all of that's relevant because uh, when President Kennedy was assassinated a month after my article uh, uh, came out, I was uh, my writing had come to the attention of the public 
through uh, mention of it in the uh, uh, column about the crock in the New York Times. And before I knew it, I was invited to participate uh, with a leather, uh, uh, another 11 people older than I was, uh, uh, former uh, Attorney General of the United States, uh, someone uh, was president-elect of the bar, would become a justice of the Supreme Court, and Paul Freund, probably the nation's leading authority on the uh, United uh, on the Constitution, professor at Harvard, and and as, and and Senator By, a young senator uh, at the time, uh, maybe eight years older than I was, uh, uh, he was moving uh, uh, an amendment through the Constitution, the Twenty Fifth Amendment. So he came to the ABA uh, meeting that I I was invited to attend as uh, having written the article. And for some reason, uh, he was put next to me. And so for the next uh, period of time, uh, I, I was encouraged to participate in, in the discussion with the others at the table without realizing that what we were doing was framing an amendment to the United States Constitution because of the impact of the recommendations that came from this group. And, and then you spent the next couple of years, you know, working with members of Congress on the amendment. But, you know, the project for you wasn't wasn't over then. Um, you know, you, no. you started working on a really a national campaign um, to, uh, you know, get the states to ratify the 25th Amendment. Um, wh what is that experience and, and the engagement uh, that you found from citizens and particularly lawyers and young lawyers across the, the whole country, you know, tell you about the importance of, uh, of civic engagement? Well, it, it, the engagement you refer to is I was asked by the American Bar Association as a result of me being part of this uh, gathering that came with the recommendations that uh, were endorsed by the American Bar Association and eventually uh, by the Congress of the United States. And uh, uh, I was asked to uh, chair the Committee of Young Lawyers in America I, I was called on uh, by Richard Park, by Birch Fye, and, and other members of Congress to uh, share my research and, uh, and, and you might say learning and scholarship on, on, and points of view on the subject. Uh, I, it just all came my way and, and I, I tried to respond to it all. What it was like, uh, it was very exciting uh, 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 to uh, be part of a movement to have uh, 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 the members of Congress from every state in the United States, uh, through the young lawyers that on the committee that I chaired, uh, uh, encouraged them to support the work product that I mentioned. And, uh, and that support flowed in uh, from all over the country because of the work of those young lawyers working with the senior lawyers in their state that also uh, uh, were part of the effort to uh, uh, have, a, have an amendment uh, uh, to the Constitution. What it was like, uh, I don't think I realized what was happening. <laughs> I haven't said what I, I said. I was just, uh, I was practicing law with a, fir a law firm in New York. I was starting to raise a family at the time. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I was, you know, uh, you know, living close to my parents. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I had a lot going on in my life, but then I was doing everything imaginable to help the effort without realizing I, I you know, you knew what the effort was. Uh, but all of a sudden, it's, it's proposed by both houses of Congress. 
And we kept working away our, our Young Lawyers Committee. And I think they really made a difference in many states in terms of ratification. And, uh, uh, and before I knew it, I was being invited to the White House by President Johnson for the proclamation of the 25th Amendment to the Constitution. You mentioned Senator Birch by uh, earlier, and uh, you know, as one as one of the members of Congress that you worked most closely with, and, and actually, you know, sat next to uh, at that that ABA meeting. Um, he he's the only person, as you know, uh, in history other than James Madison to draft more than one constitutional amendment, uh, and and you know, we were. We, we were fortunate enough to, to you know, host a, an event at Fordham Law School last fall, you know, marking, you know, Senator Bayh's great contributions to this country. Um, you know, you, you obviously have firsthand knowledge working with him, though. What, what do you feel is the example that he uh, set for legislators or, or anyone else, really, who's working on constitutional reform? Well, he had a passion for the Constitution and a passion for uh, uh, hearing, hearing uh, ideas from others uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, and trying to identify uh, areas of uh, weakness in our society, in our, our law, in our Constitution. Uh, he was, a, he was a, a role model beyond role models. And... Uh, uh, he, 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 through his staff, sometimes individually, would reach out to me, said, can you do some research on this? Can you uh, give, us your, give us your view on that? And that continued uh, because I got involved in uh, electoral college reform uh, at the request of the American Bar Association. And there he was again, uh, the leader in Congress uh, to change the Constitution. He loved uh, the Constitution. He, he told me uh, 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 later that uh, constitutional law was his favorite subject at law school when he was a young, a young man, and he could see ways to improve it. And, uh, and that he made me, <laughs> I guess you could say, a believer in, in the impossible by uh, participating in causes that might be considered impossible, such as uh, uh, abolishing the Electoral College. And uh, I, uh, I was the advisor to the American Bar Association Commission that was created in 1966. I was not a member of the commission, but they asked me to do the research. I got a lot of law students to work with me. And before I knew it, uh, there was a proposed amendment uh, to abolish the Electoral College. I was asked to, by Senator Dirksen, the minority leader, Republican minority leader of the Senate, and also uh, uh, by uh, other members of Congress, so to speak, uh, uh, could I participate in drafting a, a proposed constitutional amendment? I did that with uh, Jim Kirby, had been uh, had worked with Senator Keefather, uh, and uh, and and we sat down uh, because we were members of a committee together that the ABA had put together uh, to to help with the change that change of the Constitution. And I saw Senator Bayh time and again. I uh, remember bringing my young children to visit with him when I was in Washington uh, when they were kids. Uh, uh, he was such a role model for me uh, right to the end of his life and, uh, and how he respected others. Uh, and uh, he, was, he was not, uh, he was not a, a partisan's partisan. He, he was a, a, a senator of a party that uh, where 
greater than party was America and our constitution. And, and he saw ways that uh, he could get people together across the aisle in the Senate and then maybe colleagues in the, in the House do the same. And we saw that in the 25th Amendment uh, at that time both houses were, uh, in my judgment, supportive of it, even though it had not come to a vote in the Senate, but it, it had a clear majority of the Senate, maybe couldn't get to, to test whether or not two thirds uh, uh, would approve it because it was a filibuster put in, in place at that point, but passed the House of Representatives by almost an 80% vote, both political parties making that happen. And so after your work on these constitutional initiatives, the 25th Amendment, Electoral College reform, uh, and then other issues after that, um, you know, you began <laughs> teaching students uh, at Fordham, uh, you know, and, and other places about the Constitution uh, and the Constitutional Convention. What are some of your reflections from, uh, from that work of, you know, teaching future generations about, uh, about the Constitution? Certainly, uh, one reflection is that uh, uh, when, uh, whether it be law students, college students, or earlier, uh, learn more about the uh, framers of the Constitution's effort to uh, give us a, a nation that would work in terms of its governance. And uh, as you get into uh, the subject of how they did it at the Constitutional Convention, where did the language come from? that they use because there were early state constitutions. There were all kinds of legal documents from, uh, from English history, from colonial history. When, when you start to see how people before us uh, uh, took, uh, uh, were, uh, uh, made contributions to the language of the constitution, it's very exciting. It, it says to you, uh, 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 get active and uh, and contribute to uh, uh, a positive change uh, as as might be necessary. So for the, the past two years, we've, we've co-taught um, Fordham Law's Democracy and the Constitution Clinic, uh, you know, where the students develop reform recommendations, uh, mostly related to the Constitution. Uh, their reports touch on a, a wide range of subjects. But what do you think are, are the biggest challenges facing the Constitution uh, and our democracy? And, and what kind of reforms might be necessary? Well, in terms of, uh, of, of reform, um, if there was a way to mandate uh, a greater civility in our society, I, I would like to uh, see that happen. Uh, although there's a, uh, there, are, there are civility documents and, and articles on how do, we, how do we achieve greater civility in our society. And I think part of it is uh, uh, educating uh, uh, young people uh, in, 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 in the primary grades as well as the secondary grades about, uh, about our constitution. And so educational reform uh, strikes me as uh, very important, particularly at a time when we're, uh, we're diminishing support of civics education in, in, in some parts of our system, as I see it. In terms of the Constitution itself, it's very clear to me that we uh, uh, have to get rid of the electoral college system. It, uh, it, 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 it is, it is, it is uh, dangerous, it's uh, complex, it's, uh, it uh, leads to mischief, and uh, and I devoted 12 years uh, working uh, with Senator Bai, uh, uh, almost 12 years, I guess it was, 
uh, working with Senator Bai uh, to achieve that re reform. Uh, and the reform was very simple, that uh, uh, whoever is the winner of the uh, most votes uh, should be uh, the president, the most popular votes should be the president of the United States. And, uh, and the idea that we could have an electoral vote winner someday where uh, uh, the losing candidate uh, might have had uh, 10,000, 15,000 uh, 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 more popular votes than the, uh, uh, the electoral vote winner is abhorrent to me and uh, is uh, very dangerous in terms of the uh, long-term health of our democracy. And as the Constitution, um, you know, enters or deep into, you know, it, its second century now, uh, are you optimistic for its future? Well, I'm a basic, basically an optimistic uh, person. And uh, uh, am I concerned? Do I have concerns? Uh, I certainly have concerns at this moment in time because of all the division that I see everywhere I go. Uh, not simply in terms of the constitutional area, but I think that has set a tone of uh, uh, that uh, that contributes to uh, divisiveness. And uh, and 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 despite despite that, I, I mean, I I don't uh, I, I I have a faith that uh, uh, gives me uh, a strength in terms of. Uh, uh, of of seeing things and accepting things, and uh, so I remain hopeful. Would be the word that I would use, uh, uh, but concerned. Dean Farrick, I, I think our our time is unfortunately up, but this has been uh, a terrific discussion, and uh, always a privilege to talk with you about the Constitution. Uh, so really, a great privilege. Thanks again for doing this. Thank you very much, and all the best. You can read more about Dean Furyk's work and scholarship on the Constitution in his new memoir, That Further Shore, a memoir of Irish roots and American promise. And if you'd like to read the reports from Fordham Law's Democracy Clinic, which Dean Furyk and I co-taught, the reports are available at law.fordham.edu slash democracy reports. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm John Rogan.